J.C. Ryle's Devotional Thoughts on the Gospel of Luke, Section 60, The Cost of Following Jesus, Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plough, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. The passage of scripture we've just read is a very remarkable one. It contains three short sayings of peculiar solemnity addressed by our Lord Jesus Christ to three different people. We know nothing of the names of those people. We know nothing of the effect which our Lord's words produced upon them. But we need not doubt that each was addressed in the way which his character required. And we may be sure that the passage is especially intended to promote self-inquiry. The first of these sayings was addressed to one who offered to be a disciple unconditionally and of his own accord. Lord, said this man, I will follow you wherever you go. That offer sounded good. It was a step in advance of many. Thousands of people heard our Lord's sermons who never thought of saying what this man said. Yet he who made this offer was evidently speaking without thought. He had never considered what discipleship meant. He had never counted the cost. And hence he needed the grave reply from Jesus, which his offer called forth. Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He must weigh well what he was taking in hand. He must not suppose that Christ's service was all pleasure and smooth sailing. Was he prepared for this? Was he ready to endure hardship like a good soldier of Christ Jesus? Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. If not, he had better withdraw his application to be a disciple. Let us learn from our Lord's words on this occasion that he would have all who profess and call themselves Christians reminded that they must carry the cross. They must count on being despised and afflicted and tried like their master. Jesus would have no man enlisted on false pretenses. He would have it distinctly understood that there is a battle to be fought and a race to be run and a work to be done and many hard things to be endured if we propose to follow him. Salvation he is ready to bestow without money and without price. Grace along the way and glory in the end shall be given to every sinner who comes to him. But he would not have us ignorant that we shall have deadly enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and that many will hate us, slander us, and persecute us if we become his disciples. 
He does not wish to discourage us, but he does wish us to know the truth. Well would it have been for the church if our Lord's warning had been more frequently pondered. Many a man begins a religious life full of warmth and zeal, but by and by loses all his first love and turns back again to the world. He liked the uniform and the bounty money and the name of a Christian soldier, but he never considered the watching and warring, the wounds and conflicts which Christian soldiers must endure. Let us never forget this lesson. It need not make us afraid to begin serving Christ, but it ought to make us begin carefully, humbly, and with much prayer for grace. If we are not ready to take part in the afflictions of Christ, then we must never expect to share his glory. The second of our Lord's saying is addressed to one whom Jesus invited to follow him. The answer he received was a very remarkable one. Lord, said the man, allow me first to go and bury my father. The thing he requested was in itself harmless, but the time at which the request was made was unreasonable. Affairs of far greater importance than even a father's funeral demanded the man's immediate attention. There would always be plenty of people ready and fit to take care of a funeral, but there was at that moment a pressing need of labourers to do Christ's work in the world. And hence the man's request drew from our Lord the solemn reply, Let the dead bury their dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Let us learn from this saying to beware of allowing family and social duties to interfere with our duty to Christ. Funerals and marriages and visits of courtesy and the like unquestionably are not in themselves sinful, but when they're allowed to absorb a believer's time and keep him back from any plain Christian duty, they become a snare to his soul. That the unconverted people of the world should allow these kind of things to occupy all their time and thoughts is not astonishing. They know nothing higher and better and more important. Let the dead bury their dead. But the heirs of glory and children of the King of Kings should be men of a different stamp. They should declare plainly by their conduct that the world to come is the great reality which fills their thoughts. They should not be ashamed to let men see that they have no time either to rejoice or to sorrow like others who have no hope. Their master's work waits for them, and their master's work must have the chief place in their hearts. They are God's priests in the world, and like the priests of old, their mourning must be kept carefully within bounds. Leviticus chapter 21 verse 1. Weeping says an old divine, must not hinder working, and mourning must not be allowed to run into excess. The third of our Lord's sayings in this passage was addressed to one who volunteered to follow him, but marred the grace of his offer by interposing a request. Lord, he said, I will follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. The answer he received shows plainly that the man's heart was not yet thoroughly engaged in Christ's service. 
and that he was therefore unfit to be a disciple. Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plough and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We learn from this saying that it is impossible to serve Christ with a divided heart. If we're looking back to anything in this world, then we're not fit to be disciples. Those who look back, like Lot's wife, want to go back. Jesus will not share his throne with anyone. No, not with our dearest relatives. He must have all our heart, or none. No doubt we are to honour father and mother and to love all around us. But when love to Christ and love to relatives come in collision, Christ must have the preference. We must be ready, like Abraham, if needs be, to leave our kindred for Christ's sake. We must be prepared, in case of necessity, like Moses, to turn our backs even on those who have brought us up, if God calls us and the path of duty is plain. Such decided conduct may entail great trials on our affections. It may crush our hearts to go contrary to the opinions of those we love. But such conduct may sometimes be positively necessary to our salvation. And without it, when it becomes necessary, we are unfit for the kingdom of God. The good soldier will not allow his heart to be entangled too much with his home. If he daily gives way to unmanly repinings about those he has left behind him, then he will never be fit for a battle. His present duties, the watching, the marching, the fighting, must have the principal place in his thoughts. So must it be with all who would serve Christ. They must beware of softness spoiling their characters as Christians. They must endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Let us leave the whole passage with many searchings of heart. The times are undoubtedly much changed since our Lord spoke these words. Not many are called to make such real sacrifices for Christ's sake as when Christ was upon earth. But the heart of man never changes. The difficulties of salvation are still very great. The atmosphere of the world is still very unfavorable to spiritual religion. There is still need for thorough, unflinching, wholehearted decision if we would reach heaven. Let us aim at nothing less than this firmness of decision. Let us be willing to do anything and suffer anything and give up everything for Christ's sake. It may cost us something for a few years, but great will be our reward in eternity.